News Hounds from Queen City Nerve is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to episode 43 of Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. This is Ryan Pitkin. As always, I have my guest, Justin LaFrancois. And uh, today we have a special guest, James Ford, which this all works out. I am recording um, on a Wednesday, so I can go out of town on this weekend, but... This has also been a, a, a barrier to having James Ford on, because I know you teach class on Thursday night. So, man, I'm glad to have you. We have James Ford here, founder of Creed. What's going on, man? What's up, man? I appreciate y'all accommodating me. And for those listening, I came late on top of that. So You did. You know. <laughs> I texted him. I was like, just call me when you're outside, man. And he was like, oh, shit. No, no need to, no need to be concerned about that, because we got failed communication, right? We forgot to all tell them the we were even going to... I forgot to even book this studio. I came running down here, and I was like, uh, anybody around? <laughs> so it's just a, a controlled chaos. Everybody's playing by ear. Absolutely. Sure. So CREED is, a, is an acronym that you launched, acronym for an organization that you launched. <laughs> tell us about it a little bit before before yeah. we get into things. Yeah, for sure. So um, I should state that, uh, you know, I'm co-founder with Jeannie Bryant, who I'm sure you know as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the acronym is the Center for Racial Equity in Education. And we are an education nonprofit based out of Charlotte, but our work is statewide. We're focused on closing racialized opportunity gaps and like, furthermore, ensuring academic flourishing for students of color mm-hmm. in the P20 pipeline. So issues as early as pre-K and um, as far-reaching as post-secondary. Uh, it's about just creating an environment where, you know, race no longer is a determining factor or predictor of how, you know, folks experience the education system. And so small but mighty staff, we're doing a whole lot of work. We do research, we do public engagement work, and uh, we do implementation work. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, what keeps us busy at night and also relevant, right? Yeah. Considering. So we got plenty of topics to, to jump into and lots of th- lots of stuff to talk about, but I want to talk a little bit about a lot of stuff, huh? A lot of stuff. A lot of there was a, a lot, lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is the second time I made that yeah, joke today. I didn't get it the first time either. It when took I me said a second that time. there's a lot of plantation shit yeah. in here. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that, that, that went over my head. Yeah. Yeah. Right. See? Right. <laughs> it's not as easy. Got you. But when I became aware of you, I want to talk a little bit about when you were named State Teacher of the Year, cover of Charlotte Magazine. That's sort of when I became aware of your face. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it goes without saying, my next sentence was about to be done, but you were a teacher then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> full-time teacher in CMS. Tell me a little bit about your journey to from that place and sort of getting all this attention on you to then deciding you're going to leave the actual classroom and do what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a wild journey, man. First of all, so you know, like I taught right down the street. Mm-hmm. Like this is our former backyard. You know, mm-hmm. I saw that Geringer. East Central Charlotte. You know, I'm not from here. I'm from Rockford, as we discussed. Rockford, right. Illinois. Came here sight unseen. Had a buddy from college and moved down here. He was like, check out North Carolina. I live in Charlotte. One visit, and me and my wife were like, yeah, we're moving south. Taught at Garinger for five years. Didn't know anything about Charlotte, nothing about, you know, the neighborhood. But it was like a incredibly, beautifully diverse group of kids, man. Black and brown kids, immigrant kids, just from all over the place. And, but also had like a rep. Not a positive one that I thought was undeserved. But I, I flourished there, man. I taught world history and just loved it. I had a time in my life. I was just doing my thing, you know, trying to help kids interrogate, you know, the world around them and understand things a little bit better. And I guess some people took notice because I want 
I, I want teacher there at my school, and they put you in like a tournament system where you just keep going, right? Then it was uh, the region, then it was the district, and then it was the state region, and then I won state teacher of the year, and I was like, okay. Is this like a voted on thing? Yeah. By it, colleagues? or Initially like, by colleagues, okay. and then it's nice. like these committees, and they talk to your parents, by your parents, your students' parents, and see mm-hmm. how type of guy to talk to your kids, your colleagues, and then they vote on by committee. But So that put me in the spotlight in 2014. So now I'm like the face of teaching <laughs> in a state that I'm relatively new in. And but, you know, I just try to use the platform, talk about and, you know, concern the public about the issues that, that were near and dear to me, which was the same stuff I was talking about in class. Right. Mm-hmm. Systemic inequality, issues of race, you know, struggles for social justice. Man, you know, I guess now looking back. I guess I'm still relevant, right, mm-hmm. in all these years. Um, and, Absolutely. But, yeah, I try to keep the same energy, man, uh, no mm-hmm. matter where I'm at. And so that's, you know, I'm, I'm still educating. I guess the audience is just a little different. Right. I still got a friend who teaches over at Geringer. I'll, I'll say shout out to Miss Brooks. I don't know how. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you I don't know Brooks. how. Uh, well, hold on. Yeah, do you yeah. know she's a good teacher? Yes. Absolutely. Oh, okay. you been in her class? Yeah. I met her during Occupy Charlotte. She was yeah, a thanks. straight up active activist, so that makes her a good teacher. Mm-hmm. You don't know I that. trust in it. She could be mean. <laughs> She's not mean. I also, one of, the first, one of the first stories I ever got published in our old paper was about the Geringer, the lack of crosswalks, which there are now there. Yeah. But kids used to just flood out of that school yeah. and just go straight across the street to hang out across Eastway. Yeah. Or no, actually, yeah, just hang out across Eastway. The other side of Eastway? Yeah. yeah. Four lanes and this girl was hit and killed. Brittany. Yeah, yes. R.I.P. Brittany, man. Yeah, that was 24, no, 12. Or no, that was back in 20, 2008 or nine because I was interning there I think at the school no at creative loving, but yeah. that was one of my first stories ever published and I like to think that my story had something to do with helping it Selfish helping that movement kept me going in journalism <laughs> no I mean sadly you know it took a student to perish mm-hmm. for them to actually respond to that but right yeah, even before I got there, like that was a perpetual thing. They've mm-hmm. been asking for the city, so thank you, man, for amplifying that for real. Some like, other people had been hit already, yeah. hadn't died, yeah. And it's crazy that they didn't t- really take action until her mom was really leading the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really her mom who kept it going. I was just helping to boost it a little bit. Sure. How long after that incident did? Oh, it took a long from? time. It took a good two or three years to. It, it took maybe a year for them just to like officially say this is in part of the bond package or We're however you have this. to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the funds for it, which is like, damn, I'll go out and paint one, you know. Yeah, right. But anyway, we're moving forward because there's a there's a ton going on that I wanted to bring you in here to chat about. You and I DM back and forth a little bit about it here and there. And uh, I just know, obviously, we talk on Twitter also just yeah. in general. And I know that you have all the thoughts about just what's <laughs> been happening already just this year in general. And let's start with a more specific case yeah. uh, that's just happened this week because it's the most newsy at the moment, which is this whole Latta Plantation case, which for those who don't know, it was Friday morning that I tweeted a, an, a screenshot of some of an event planned for Juneteenth this coming Saturday. Mm-hmm. And this event was the way it came off. I don't I can't really speak to the. To the intent of it, but the way it came off was very much centering whiteness very much. at the end of the Confederate War, talking about you're going to hear from the massa who's now oh hiding in the woods. Oh uh, you're going to hear from the overseers who now any who have now have no one to oversee. You're going to hear from the Confederate people, the Confederate soldiers who are now going to head home about how they feel about the end of this war, and you're also going to hear from the freed people who are now partying like very like they're partying up high on the hog in the house. 
Because I'm just a white guy, and it already right, struck right. me like, holy shit, like mm-hmm. who wrote this and who approved it? So just as someone, as an African-American, yeah. someone who has grown up as a black man in America yeah. reading that, I mean, what yeah. is your first visceral reaction? Yeah, I mean, my first thought was they got to be trolling. Right. has to be, right? Because if they're not trolling, that is like the most profound and extreme example of intentional ignorance that I've ever Encounter, right? right? So I want to advance folks a little bit of intelligence and say, I actually think you're smarter than that. I think you're just being an asshole. You're the benefit of a doubt. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Right. Yeah, I'm going to advance you a little more credibility than that. But, you know, as an African-American, right, like not just a black person, but somebody who, de- who descends from the enslaved Africans on this continent, man, um, it just goes to show that folks are committed to intentionally misunderstanding and just being insensitive and inhumane to our plight. It's addictive. It's something we can't seem to, it's a habit we can't seem to kick. The fact that you, one, I, I got a feeling about plantation tours in general. There are very few that actually do so that center the enslaved and that, you know, being Whitney Plantation down in Louisiana that I've actually been to, mm-hmm. which does an excellent job. But a lot of them do that, you know, maybe in more benign ways. But even when you don't center the folks of color or the, the African-Americans, that's a problem. But then to deliberately center whiteness, that was just the extension of the narrative that's been pushed by the United Daughters of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. right, who have been responsible for propagating this lost cause narrative. I don't know if you saw the Louisiana textbook chapter that leaked this mm-hmm. week as well. It reads just like the latter plantation mm-hmm. narrative. It is completely centered on this poor oh, slave I, woman. I, yeah, I did what see What can that. she do now? Her, all her, her business, mm-hmm. right? Her business. Her business, right? Small is that a business owner. And, 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 the, you know, and the, her workers, right, have taken over the big... It's the same exact deal. And so... Folks and, and folks are committed to not recognizing humanity of black people. It's it's the great American pastime, and even confronting that legacy is exactly why we have all these other issues going on. But I wasn't surprised, I was disappointed, and I don't care if the person who is over Latin Plantation is black. You know, anybody can subscribe and help perpetuate white supremacy, and I think that just proves it. Right, and this guy he doubled down on it. He did hard. So this, who you're referring to, Ian Campbell, is the site manager there. He's got some history at Latin Plantation. He he seems to be sort of one of these, I don't even want to justify it by giving him like the edgy, like he, he tries to sort of go after these controversial ways of doing He's this. He's an thing. asshole. Yeah, he does these living history museum things where he got in trouble earlier, uh, it was like a decade ago or so, was it 20, 2009 or? Uh, I'm Sad, sure. There was a, there's a seven involved, it might have been okay. 2017. Yeah, I can't. I don't know exactly when it happened, but he made the news for you know act, asking black kids to act as slaves. The only two black kids in the class, right. to act as the during a field pickers. trip. Yeah. Um, Can I just say that I hope please. to never dishonor my ancestors like that. I right. hope that I never find myself in a position where I do something so disrespectful mm-hmm. to my ancestors, man. Yeah. This this whole interactive way that he seems to do it is super sketch like it's it's a way that you're going to find yourself doing things that are insensitive because i am a supporter of keeping historic sites like that alive not for weddings not for what have you not for for educational purposes yeah not for banquets and things but for educational purposes and done right and i'd love to so getting to the actual newest news of this is that on tuesday night the county just came out and said quicker than i ever thought was going to happen they came out and said that they so they own the land that the nonprofit that runs light plantation operates 
and they are going to just terminate this lease when it expires, which happens on June 30th, which wow. is only in two weeks. End of fiscal year. So, Life yeah. comes at you fast, bro. It does. Yeah. Life yeah. comes at Ian Camel fast. And, I mean, that's that's fine. I, I No, that's cancer yeah. culture. Yeah. That's, no, <laughs> right. I know that's how some people see it. You're going to get beat up. I'd love to see... I'd love to see like a black-led organization. I know this might be naive to think because a lot of folks who don't really agree with the whole cancel vibe of this whole story have been saying like, oh, now here comes some private investors going to buy it. Silent scene. Here comes a raise in the budget the from county. The county still owns Right, exactly. It. Yeah, the county yeah. gets, to, gets to decide who's going to be there. And I'm really hoping that they'll that they're purposeful about how they approach that and, and who they work with because like you said, I have not heard of that location in Louisiana, but having some place that does it right and does it in a black-led, black-centered way, I think could be uh, huge for the area. Uh, uh, you know, and as an educator, I'm always going to advocate for, you know, a truly, you know, right education. And what I mean by that is, you know, one that interrogates the issues in factual ways that are verifiable and are true to the spirit and the intention of what it means to be educated, right? There's no lack of white perspectives mm-hmm. on anything. Right. Certainly not slavery. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> With the, I'm just saying, of all the things where there, you know, where there's a deficiency and we don't need to both sides it, it would be slavery. I'm more interested, right, mm-hmm. in fact, of, of hearing about it from the perspective of the enslaved. And so, you know, the pushing of the voices of those folks to the periphery, I think, is a misstep, but it could be done in a way that is educational, that helps to disrupt and create new understandings around how foundational this institution was, the way that it dehumanized and continues in some ways to dehumanize people, and the way that it robbed people of wealth and what that does, what the reverberations of that are for our our society. So I hope that they do it correctly. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's still being felt today just in terms of when you talk about generational wealth and the lack thereof in the black community, it's not just obviously redlining played a huge part in in all these different steps down the road, but it all starts at slavery. And for folks to sort of brush that off as like, you know, at some point we have to move on. Well, not (laughs) until... Literally brush it off. Right. Not until there's, uh, there's some more actionable things than naming Juneteenth a a national holiday. I've read more comments about people saying, oh, that was hundreds of years ago and they sold their own people into it and blah, 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 which is why I'm really fucking considering turning the comments off on our post. Right. Hey, listen, I have no problem. Question would be to ask whether these people celebrate the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Oh, guaranteed. That was hundreds of years ago. Yeah, sure was. Yeah, why don't y'all just get over that? Right. <laughs> you want your independence? Stop talking about it. why you why you why you spiking the ball. You know what I mean? Relax. Yeah, you already got it. Yeah, shut absolutely. up. Right. Oh, it doesn't and work like that. Right. No, <laughs> okay, no, it doesn't. Interesting. Okay, my bad. And or take down some statues. All buildings matter. Yeah, yeah. Right. That was hundreds of years ago, right? right. The Confederacy that lasted <laughs> not even as long as a tribe called Quest as a group. <laughs> right? You right. can keep on talking about that for generations, mm-hmm. right? Y'all, it's so not serious, bro. Just mm-hmm. say y'all want power and just yeah. move on. Just say right. that, man. Exactly. You're not being honest. Plain and, and simple. Yeah. And it goes without saying, well, for those familiar, I guess it doesn't go without saying, but, you know, a lot of those statues were put up in the 60s during civil rights movement and when people needed power symbols, they weren't there Again, because anyone United gave a shit. confederacy. Right, yeah. They, they exactly. did the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's what people are asleep on is the lost cause narrative. These white women who descended from the Confederacy, the first thing they did was they went on a re-education campaign, and they drummed up the lost cause narrative, and the, and the way they did it was through the school systems. Mm. Aha, 
light yeah, bulb. Right. They went to the textbooks of Southern schools, and they are the ones who lobbied and injected and talked about, you know, valorizing these folks. And so it's just really funny. As a history teacher, I always taught that history is not a line. It is a cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting if we look at the present context, what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the United Daughters of the Confederacy Part Two. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it, I wasn't even planning to discuss it, but it just came into my head when I mentioned earlier, but this, this whole, I think it was today, this morning, you know, the House and Senate, in the U.S. House and Senate can't agree on a damn thing, but today they, they made this symbolic gesture of creating Juneteenth as a national holiday. He didn't talk about that with it, me today. No, it's... <laughs> he, don't, he don't love you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> He's been with me every been, second of uh, the day. Unfaithful. <laughs> We've just been delivering papers, and... Uh, I've just been seeing it like, you know, if you are... Oh, I got to... I'm sorry to interrupt, but there is a tweet that aligns with what you're saying that I want to read out loud if I can find it. Pull it up. But just this whole idea, you know, these voting acts that are being passed state by state from Texas to here or trying here. And, you know, you have Republicans standing so firm against voting rights that help access for black people, but then they'll throw their their name behind a federal holiday. It's just sort of... It's gross. I don't. I don't really have a question or anything. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me just plus one. Yeah. Let me like that comment <laughs> and say yeah. And that's how it works, man. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking yesterday uh, when news of this came down, and I was like, man, because ironically, High on the Hog on Netflix kind right. of talks about African American mm-hmm. uh, cultural cuisine, and and you know the facts of the matter is, black people in America who were enslaved were always given the scraps from the table, mm-hmm. and when you look at it, even from legislative from a policy standpoint. Mm. We're, we're giving the scraps yep, absolutely. from the table. Absolutely, that's what this holiday <laughs> right? so, feels like. Yeah, thank you. For sure. But can we get an anti-lynching law? Right. Can we get reparations? You know, stop playing, man. Right. And this, this tweet says, they painted BLM instead of defunding the police, clapped for essential workers instead of raising the wage, and made Juneteenth a holiday instead of making sure black folks can vote. Always a symbolic victory instead of a material change. That part. I need I need everybody, but especially my people, to understand, like, this is why I don't get caught up in celebrity politics. Oh, she got on Chucks. Yeah, right. oh, my VP. Mm-hmm. Bro, I'm about policy. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Representation is great, but we are past that. What are, what are you going to do? Well, what are your thoughts? Did you pay? Because I'm going to go ahead and admit that I haven't read the details on this so much. I read over it. That. The $2 million as part of the Mecklenburg County budget mm-hmm. that was is going to be used. I know Axios had referred to it as reparations-like. And then Mark Jarrell, who I think was behind you know, putting it there in the, in the budget, had said it's not reparations, but it is equity investments. Uh, have you had a chance to really to look at that, what that's going to consist of? No, I haven't, actually. So okay. you, you put me on. All right. Um, well, let me... Uh, did they break see. it down on... I mean, two million. Two million is not nothing, a lot. Bro. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> I, I would just want to state that for yeah. not like I'm out here balling out of control, but like in my household budget, that's a whole lot of money. Bro. <laughs> yeah, right. two million dollars ain't gonna pave the street. For the county, yeah, just right. to be, just ain't gonna pave the street. No. Yeah. So, as part of the 2022 fiscal year budget, the county will spend two million dollars on equity investments. The county has not decided exactly where the money will go, but in oh, its okay. framework, yeah, sure. Jarrell, which I'll give a shout out, Mark Jarrell, at yeah. more than anyone on the count on the county commission, uh, has you know has his head in the right place. I For think. sure. Shout out to Fred, bro. He suggests education, small businesses, healthcare, and home ownership. So when you're talking about four very broad aspects like that, two million dollars really, yeah. especially those aspects, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. $2 million to get you two plots of lands with two houses on them. County will be forming com- a committee to study what areas are in most need of the funds. Yeah. Are you open? Are you, are you getting on that committee? 
No, I don't have, I don't have any more time. <laughs> right, I feel you. I got enough trouble I'm getting into. So, but <laughs> let me just say that anyone who believes that somebody who steals something from you um, and believes that when they steal it, that justice entails them returning that to you, you can understand that fundamental concept. And then mm-hmm. when we start talking about what we just talked about, slavery the impact and the generational impact, and anyone who can who attempts to level an argument that doesn't involve direct cash payments for reparations, I'm not taking that seriously. That's mm-hmm. one of those litmus test things for me. Like, I know, because if you principally believe this, but then there's all these preconditions of, oh, well, actually, you don't think I deserve it, right? Mm-hmm. There's always this discontinuity, always these excuses and equivocations. Two million dollars ain't a whole lot, but we should be giving some money and Call it reparations. Mm-hmm. You know, call it whatever you want to, but call it giving me back what you stole. Right. Right. I just listened to a really great in-depth podcast. Well, it was a it was an audio version of an article. As I think it appeared. I don't he know. He was listening to some. Listening to some. <laughs> that was discussing a reparation effort in Vermont, of all places. Mm-hmm. So this is a much smaller percent of the population right, that they're right. targeting. And it's also still not even a government thing. It's right. grassroots activists who got together, and I think it was two of them at the start, and they just created a list. They called it The List, mm. and they released it publicly, and they it was just cash apps and Venmos and just PayPal. how you can sp- send money to random black folks who live in your community. <laughs> uh, and they were, they were open about the fact these two are great and they made the whole thing because they were both two black queer activists, very young, uh-huh. I want to say just in their early 20s, just out of college. And they were very open about the fact that we are capitalizing on white folks' guilt, the, the liberal white guilt yeah. because that's yeah. what we can capitalize on right yeah. now and it's they were a like great thing to capitalize yeah. on <laughs> yeah, i don't know how i feel about that yeah, right that's why i was curious yeah just to, i don't like that i'm right. gonna tell you why and i respect the that that's the the take that folks are are, are, are doing mm-hmm. first of all i don't feel like reparations should come necessarily from the coffers of individual white folk right it's the united states that owes mm-hmm. that debt to us. Hey man, like, I agree. No, I'm just kidding. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, and the other thing is, I'm not a fan of white guilt. I don't think white guilt is a productive emotion. Right. Yeah. You know, I think white accountability, white action, you know, white initiative and courage, I think, are, are things that actually mobilize us. But I'm not trying to assuage anybody's conscience, man, to make right. them feel better. But I understand why folks are doing that, but it just, it has a finesse. Uh, it was. It has was, a finesse element. And I think they were it. open about it. They were like, <laughs> this is our only. This is what we came up with, and it's working. And it only worked for a little young, while. We're young; it works. Yeah, I, that's why like, I can't be too mad at him. It's like, <laughs> right. yeah, like I get where you. What you and of course, to, there's right. always this un, un, unforeseen, which these make sense as almost foreseen things that happen where the people would name people would want to rather give money to the folks they know. So if anyone had a name recognition as an a, not an, uh, as an activist in yeah. the community. Those people would end up getting like you know fifty, sixty thousand dollars or something, and then other folks who were just on the list, who were just normal folks, you know, wouldn't see a whole lot. But you should cash up. I mean, folks, but not out of guilt, right? No, yeah, yeah. guilt's not really got any folks the work that they do and show them you like, yeah, do that, but Mm -hmm. just make that's not reparations. Just make sure they have a home, or Tariq Bakari will hit you with a fucking misdemeanor. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just make sure it's not traceable, right? I mean. I want to chat about that after the, after we get I back. I want to chat about just, that too. But we're going to take a quick break real quick, and we'll come right back for the second half. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care begins with the click of a mouse because online scheduling saves me time. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. 
Get ready. Broadway is returning to Charlotte. Blumenthal Performing Arts has an incredible selection of upcoming hits, including the returns of Hamilton and Wicked, plus the long-awaited Charlotte debut of Disney's Frozen and many more fan-favorite musicals and plays. Season tickets are on sale now at BlumenthalArts.org slash Broadway. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care doesn't have to wait because after hours, urgent care knows accidents happen. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. And we are back on episode 43 of the News Hounds podcast. Ryan Pitkin, Justin Lafrancois, James Ford. Oh, you're scaring names. I'm glad to have you, man. I'm, uh, this is the conversation I thought we'd have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm always, I'm always just like, I told you over DMs one time where I'm just like, you know, you're one of those folks. I get burnt out on Twitter for for stretches of period of time, and I'm sure you do too. I can see it in, your, coming. in the face that you just made. But you're one of those folks, folks like yourself and Bree Newsom, who are just constantly level-headed, but also mm-hmm. not status quo, just straight up, just does not, do not quit giving good, sensible, but pushing people yeah. with their takes, you know, not letting people get comfortable. And it's just, I don't know. I learn a lot from you. That's all that means a lot, I'm trying man. to get to. Thank you. I try, uh, I try to stay level-headed. I don't know yeah. how successful I am. <laughs> well, you keep isn't it all that, right on Twitter. Isn't it I, tough? It is. It is. Tough? And what is I, level? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm dumb. I took a step back from Twitter like a, mm-hmm. a month and a half ago. And I was just, I don't post shit on there anymore because I'm just, this is too much. It makes me angry. I saw you yeah. get spicy a couple times. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, just get too mad. Uh, I'm like, ugh. This uh, what Justin was just referring to on the end at the end of the first half, and it's it breaks away a little bit from what we were talking about earlier, but that's fine. That's what New Sounds is about. We'll, sure. we'll jump around a bit. Also, is one of my favorite topics. It's just uh, it's asinine, yeah. and it was just a sort of a passing comment that Tariq Bakari made, but it still needs to be reckoned with. Because, yeah, those who are listening, it means nothing, right. and will not happen right. here, and you have nothing to worry about. So it was during a yearly presentation by Center City Partners and Tariq Bakari, your friendly Republican on the city council <laughs> who tries to be the cool millennial Republican. He just came out and was talking about solutions, so-called solutions. I'm using air quotes the here. final solution. Yeah. Uh, for let's not. For homelessness in Uptown. And he, you know, he he's talking about folks helping out by, you know, not as part of any organization, but who just sort of drop by and drop off food and things. And now I will say that can be problematic for other reasons. And I've talked to many folks who lived in those encampments who fucking hated the yeah. fact that folks would just drop a thing of Bojangles. They'd be but like, they don't even a, want to talk to it's us. A new, it's a nuanced conversation. Let's yeah. focus on what okay, he yeah. said. Right. Don't drop was, food on the street. Period. He, he was, he brushed over the whole thing right. with one big And stroke. he's basically saying, you're not helping anybody by, by giving money or food directly to them instead of to an organization. So let's consider possibly, I don't know, I want to do a bold move, I think he called it, by maybe making it a misdemeanor just to hand people money or food who are struggling with homelessness. Criminalizing and, community aid. Right. You know, why, why don't we build a stronger safety net? 
Right. That's it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for the people who need to, you know, well, not need you know, to, but get those handouts. All the charities in the world put together aren't going to be enough to match what bureaucracies do. So, right. oh, my fault. That you're like a socialist. That's socialism, yeah, man. My fault, my fault. That's off limits. Get out of here. Yeah. Istinisms, they confuse me. <laughs> who, who was being socialist just then? <laughs> who, who, who's if the he's just talking about quote. increasing the safety net. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there's That's a quote cool. that actually says that. It's a quote. I forgot who it is. Uh, a Christian. Um, uh, priest or something He's like uh, You know When I uh, feed the Hungry They call me a saint When I ask why The poor are hungry They call me a socialist Right, <laughs> right For real wow. Look it up man. That's an awesome quote Yeah I mean, look, Tariq Bakari has, a, spoiler alert, one worst politician again, <laughs> our best in the nest, and he might keep winning it because the problem with Tariq is he's just an asshole. And it might not even totally be his fault because I feel like he might have approached that conversation with the best intentions, mm-hmm. thinking like, you know, we do have an affordable housing shortage and a huge wage gap and... Uh, you know, 3,000 people experiencing homelessness in Charlotte and 500 of them experiencing chronic homelessness throughout the year. And, you know, we should think of something like, like, um, let's, let's make it illegal to give them stuff. Right. You know, he took the shot and missed the target. Well, yeah, who? <laughs> but, but who for, for a person who obviously, for a person who obviously does not go out of his way to do what he is recommending stops. He shouldn't have the ability to speak about that. Mm-hmm. And if I was in that room and we were talking about this in the car, as soon as he said the word homelessness, I'd have stood up and been like, don't. Just don't. <laughs> right. Don't speak. Yeah. Talk about your financial tech. Talk about your friends up in that building over there. Uh, talk about shit we don't give a shit about. Well, don't that's talk what he's about talking stuff about. you're not active in. He's talking on behalf of the friends on in, behalf his, in the of, building. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Because when you look out Can there. Can we arrest these people who are helping? I don't actually know. I've, that I've only looks dirty. dude like a couple times. So. Right. It's, I met him when he cried out in Uptown after the police fucking nearly killed us. Man. He was there on June 2nd? Him and Larkin came out there on like the 3rd or the 4th or something. Oh, for that Mayor Lyles thing with all the white shirts? Yeah. 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 We were arguing about it. That's that's when I started following you. I was like, this dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's when everybody started following Justin. Stop following me, please. So another point that I wanted to, I mean, this is something that really wraps itself into our whole first 30-minute discussion, (laughs) which is the boogeyman of 2020. Uh, one, and that is critical race theory. And I can see you <gasps> shaking your head over there before I even said oh it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Say it three times um, in the mirror. And this is something I've really turned to you and uh, in in some of your Twitter, uh, some of your tweets about just to sort of, because it's, like, it's almost like it's working on even me to the point where it's yeah. like they're, they're so muddying the waters about what critical mm-hmm. race theory is that I start to lose yeah, track. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, it's brilliant. It's right. incredibly effective. Because um, we were, I was just sharing that that quote with you the other day, where the guy said it. Like he's open, and he's just like a pundit, so he's not in the yeah. party, but he's open about saying we're trying to make critical race theory mean everything. Oh, uh, Chris Rufo. Yeah, right. He, I got dragged by Mark Lamont Hill, who actually oh, yeah. is a PhD in urban education and knows what critical race theory is. Mm-hmm. Man, it's a it's a it's a tried and true strategy, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like disinformation in media, as you know, like shapes people's perceptions and they prey upon you know the rational ignorance of the general population so ain't none of this about critical race theory and I want to say that again man none of this is about critical race theory okay what this is about is people's perception of people white people other power holding groups uh, losing power right and in America that looks nothing like 
what it used to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a very effective strategy to take a, take a term, take a concept, bastardize it, paint it red, stigmatize it, and then just pump that out through think tanks. Mm-hmm. Say it over and over and over again. Right. It's a very Hitlery strategy that, you know, his 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 propagandist kind of uh, innovated, which is that you say a lie over and over again. Uh, eventually, people think it's true. Mm-hmm. It's about us really confronting things that are not debatable and disallowing that to happen in education spaces. When I talked about being in the classroom and confronting racism, bro, I'm a world history teacher. I can tell you when race was mm-hmm. constructed, who, some of the names of folks who did it, you know, uh, Blumenbach and Buffon, man, the Enlightenment philosophers, many of them were profound racists, Locke, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Hegel, right? These folks uh, were manufacturing these ideas of race, exporting it to European colonial holdings, using it as a justification to enslave people, then using it for imperialism, then us creating laws around it, that's not critical race theory. Right. That's the history of the world. <laughs> and in some ways, because the United States is in the world, I'm told, sometimes I, sometimes I wonder, is the history of our country. But if I do that, man, it, it means, it's, and this is really what it's about. It's about three things. It's about undermining teachers' authority to teach. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's about disallowing black and brown kids to see themselves and hear their perspectives in the classroom. And the last thing is the most important. It's about Miseducating white kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Think keeping them, that. yeah, keeping them comfortable in their in their views of you know all of my history and ancestry is good and pure. But think about cats like yourself. I bet you routinely like, oh, I didn't learn about that. I didn't hear mm-hmm. about that. You know, they know that's what's happening, bro. Mm-hmm. And so the way that you're confronting it, man, not only is your history as it was taught incomplete, but it's really incompatible. Yeah, with what? <laughs> so they can't reconcile. How do we save these folks? <laughs> In the name of freedom and of liberty, you can't teach that anymore. Again, man, the only consistent thing, uh, only consistent politics of somebody who is in power is power. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It don't got to make sense. It don't got to be coherent. It don't got to have logic to it. It's whatever keeps them in power. And that's what this is about. It's not about critical race theory. If somebody really wants to talk about that, we can. But even going down there, in some ways, I feel like is you know it allows them to frame the argument. Right? Yeah, and all those misinformed white kids that get that white weighted perception of history get mm-hmm. to take that to the table in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The way they make policy around it, it's like, yeah. oh well, listen, nobody. Here's what know, I know. The reason why people are poor is because they don't work hard enough. Oh, uh, excuse me, you didn't, you didn't, <laughs> right. you didn't learn about redlining, mm-hmm. right? Oh uh, well, I just saw I got an email in my state board email. And they're like, critical race theory, they're all concerned. And like, you know, Martin Luther King did not give his life. Did he, is he Jesus? Did he give his life? He was killed by mm-hmm. white supremacists. He was surveilled by the United States government in the counterintelligence program. Mm-hmm. The CIA settled with his family in 1999. Right. What are y'all talking about, man? Like, go, listen, I'm not the one. Go talk to somebody else about that, but don't come around here with that because you're going to get humble, right. man. You know and what I'm saying? You are a member of the North Carolina State Board, and that sometimes yeah. puts you in the line of fire for <laughs> the the racists at the the very top, like the the top trolls. And we want to welcome them to the podcast. Yeah, if you're y'all listening, listening for I the first time. Oh, yeah, there's you know a fourth I mean? seat. And you're not invited. No, <laughs> uh, no yeah, you can come. You yeah, can't yeah. talk. Collecting everything. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and make sure this make sure I sound good. Make sure my levels level. Right. Edit this and send it out. They're, they're looking for clips. But just as a member of the state board, I mean, do we, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right here because there's been so much just different things to keep a, keep track of. Do we have a uh, similar bill in, active in yes, the we do. NC bill in the 
HB 324. And so mm. one thing I want to state is that I'm an appointed member of the State Board of Education. It's the mm. second uh, most powerful education policy-making body in the state, only behind the General Assembly. So we make policy, but we don't pass laws. Right. Right. No, yeah, you can't. But as someone who has reviewed this law, what are your what is it looking like as compared to other states who have done similar things? So the funny thing is we're the ones who set it off. Mm. Okay. This law is a direct uh, response to the fact that the state board passed revised social study standards at the top of the year, which interrogated the issues of racism, which interrogated the issues of discrimination and gender. And as a response to that, this bill is trying to gut those efforts. Other states have been paying attention to us, and they got ahead of it, you know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is we went through a really rigorous process as a board to say we want standards that are more representative of the experiences of our students. And so we delayed what was supposed to be the adoption last year. HB 324 has been, you know, now it's in the Senate, began in the House, is essentially trying to undo what we did at the state board level. And, you know, again, take all of the air out of it. But the fact of the matter is, like, listen, man, it was the kids, it was the community was coming to us saying, we want to learn more about ourselves. And, like, everything in that bill, man, like, it doesn't comport with not only the standards that we completed, but it doesn't comport with like the Leandro lawsuit about funding, which we can talk about when we get into what's happening at the county level. It doesn't comport with the federal uh, laws, like uh, Every Student Succeeds Act. It doesn't comport with Article 26 of the Declaration of Human Rights, which says that students deserve to learn about themselves and their cultures and their heritage and their history. So, I mean, I I hope it doesn't pass, but bro, even if it does uh, come out the Senate, and I I hope it gets vetoed, and if it doesn't get vetoed, it was illegal for enslaved people in North Carolina to read in 1831, punishable by lashes and fines. We still did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm That's saying, what like, I was going to say. How we, is it enforceable, really? Bro, people, oppressed people are just not going to willfully be oppressed. There's mm-hmm. always going to be resistance. And so I predicted the same thing will happen now. Mm-hmm. And... And that that comes down to the importance of having more folks like yourself in schools. I know Jason Terrell had just left Profound Gentlemen, uh, yeah, I think only girl. a couple of weeks ago. But Profound Gentlemen is still going to keep on doing this important sure, work of sure. trying to get black teachers in schools. What did you see just as a teacher? And this is sort of a broad yeah. question as in terms of being able to connect with kids who didn't, who may have come up by the time you get to Geringer, never still never had a black male teacher. Yeah, yeah. I would describe it as like instant capital when you walk into the room, particularly, you know, me, I'm dark skinned with dreads. And they're like, what? You know, and you're cool, man. No, nah, I don't know about all that. <laughs> you know, cool to them means you let me get away with everything. And right. I'm like, nah, this ain't that. <laughs> you know, I think there is, there's an instant suspicion, but it's, it's, a, it's a gravitational suspicion. It's like, I want to learn more, but what is this? So there's a role modeling piece to that. But on top of it, man, like even in this conversation, I slip in and out of my own, my dialect, which is, you know, African-American vernacular English or, or, or Ebonic. And so for some kids who come from that community to hear me speak in a way, but I, at the same time, clearly have facility with the language, it's like, okay, like he's one of us, but then I'm teaching from a particular perspective and I'm able to tap into like cultural capital and I'm learn- I know how to build relationships and talk about things beyond the content. We, you know, I'm in the hallway interacting, I'm joking, I'm, you know, playing the dozens, man, you know, that, that is a familial environment, man. It makes mm. you feel like, you know, that by, even if you didn't know me, like by three weeks into my class, you're going to feel like family because that's that type of atmosphere that we create. But that's largely cultural, man. Like that's, that's, that's who we are, fam. And so it ain't just about being brown skin in the classroom. There's a way in which we engage this profession that, you know, as an homage to Jason and, and Mario is profound. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And how much of an eye have you been sort of keeping on this whole drama between, and I don't, I know drama just sounds sort of like I'm brushing it's it off, but drama. it's certainly dramatic. <laughs> yeah, yes. Drama brings a certain like, oh, why are you paying attention to that? Yeah. Oh. But this whole debacle, <laughs> I've been using that word a lot lately, so debacle, too, just about yeah. the uh, ladder plantation. But this whole issue between Mecklenburg County Board and the CMS uh, School Board in which in this also in the new budget, uh, CMS had, I mean, Mecklenburg County had proposed and is still in mediation fighting to mm-hmm. keep $56 million of CMS funding, withhold it, keep it off to the side until they come up with a, an actual cement plan like equity to, framework yeah an equity framework which they say that they already have and are working towards in their future vision plan how have you been keeping a, a finger on this yeah just as a former CMS teacher and and charlatan I mean what are your thoughts on this just from the gate yeah does this uh, does, does this a helping or a hurting thing what CMS is trying to do so I'm shock I mean you. what I'm the county's trying I'm to do I'm gonna shock you here cause I'm gonna give you one of those balanced perspectives I love it that's yeah. what we're here for yeah um, I understand why they're doing what they're doing, and I don't disagree with the need to focus on equity and closing opportunity gaps at all. I think that that's something that everybody should be focusing on, and accountability around that is important. I think the way they're going about it is wrong-headed, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so, you know, you can be doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, and I think that's, that's what's happening here. I know folks from, you know, that, that pastoral community who have been trying to get audience, you know, with folks in CMS and pressure around these things for a couple of years. And, you know, um, listen, man, you know, at some point you, you, the efforts are, are futile and you're like, well, dang, what can we do? Mm-hmm. You know, we cert- certainly have their attention now, right? Right. But the flip side of that is, man, I need folks to know that on a statewide level, there's a case that y'all should know about called Leandro versus North right. Carolina that was initiated in 1994 with rural counties in the eastern part of the state. And then later on, urban counties, including CMS, signed on as plaintiffs. And what they were alleging is the state was falling down on its duty to f- properly fund schools. Mm-hmm. Um, rural, low-income schools, but then urban schools like the school I taught at. Mm-hmm. So if you're already underfunding schools and the governor's commission released a report 20 years later that they're still doing it, the withholding of funding in an already underfunded environment to say close racialized opportunity gaps, which usually are related in some way to funding, is not, I think, the proper move. And the other question it raises is, you know, that's the one education related thing that county commissioners do. People don't know that. They're not engaged in that policy, but they hold no, the they have to give them money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's our model. So you can create a budget, but they're the ones who release the money. It just begs the question, because that's not the area of expertise, what exactly are the metrics? How are you coming at this? What do you want to see? But Yeah, what plan can you create that goes beyond what the CMS's existing vision plan that says, all right, yeah, here's yeah. your 56. But at the same time, so mm-hmm. this is me kind of being balanced. There need to be a plan. Absolutely. And, and, and it needs to have some metrics, and it needs to have some teeth. I just... And then, like, the personal attacks. That's not really, like, mine. That's right. not my style. You know, Dunlap is my commissioner. He's a good dude. But, I mean, for him to attack Ernest, I don't think that was appropriate. You mm-hmm. had concerns about his qualifications. That could have been aired a year and a half ago and it was relevant. You know what I mean? Um, we should let the, you know, major in the major. Don't major in the minor. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And so that that's kind of where I'm at with it. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a real discernible answer, but... They got to work something out, bro, because right. let me tell you who's, who's waiting in the wings and who ain't got nothing to do with these little beefs. It's, it's the kids that right. we're talking about. Absolutely. So. And that's what a lot of CMS folks, supporters have been saying is that, you know, $56 million is a small part of their budget relative, but it's not as, at the same time because it's going to affect janitorial positions and right. teacher positions and teacher assistants, assistants and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I was always interested in knowing while they were withholding that 56 is where that 56 was allocated to once it was given. Primarily mm-hmm. 
central office, like the the salaries of the folks who are lead. So they, they were mm. deliberate about that. Oh, gotcha. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, like yeah. you better do right. it quick. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and leadership, I'm leadership, shall we say? I'm not uh, an education reporter. It's not something I get to spend a ton of time on. But I have been uh, trying to stick in when there's decisions around this lawsuit. That you, is it Lissandro or Lis- Leandro? Leandro. Leandro. Yeah. I stick it in like the weekly news roundup and let people know when big stuff has happened but with, if I'm not mistaken there was something that just occurred like a, within the last week or two right? Yeah so what happened is the judge who's presiding over that case now basically the state board and I should pause here to say the state board is uh, <laughs> our defendants in the case right? right so I'm not speaking on behalf of the state board mm-hmm. just, just giving you general information and education mm-hmm. but the, the state board provided in response uh, to the judge's orders you know prescribed remedies for fully you know for, for enacting a vision that quote uh, provides a sound basic education. That's the language of this court case. That's where it comes from in the Andrew court case. And um, the General Assembly funds the schools. And so eventually we, state board, submitted a plan talking about what we're going to do. And basically said these things need to be done by this amount of time. Right. Mm-hmm. Basically figure it out. And in the event that we don't figure it out, and in the event the General Assembly does not fund the schools at the appropriate level, then he may have to step in and intervene. So it was the first time that kind of a timeline and kind of hard action was taken to say, do something. But but that's the case mm-hmm. where it is right now. But the funding decisions, again, are made by the General Assembly, the folks that we send to the state house and to the Senate. Right. And how it's just crazy to me. This lawsuit's been going on almost as long, <laughs> about as long as my sister's been alive. She's getting married this weekend. What is yeah, Leandro's attorney. You, he's, he's an attorney now, right? Okay. So <laughs> because real. of this, like, no, I, would, oh. I don't think he would say because of this, but the fact the guy, the, the kid in the case is actually right. Really that's crazy. Now, yeah. Coming up in a lawsuit your whole life, maybe <laughs> that, that helps. It doesn't hurt. Uh, it's a study case, but I mean, do, do you feel like there's a uh, going to be an actionable end to this uh, anytime uh, soon? Not until you get different legislators. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sweet. Yeah. So it's, the judge can say what the judge says, but you need legislation to he, he, he jump doesn't, on He board. doesn't, you know, he doesn't control the coffers right, uh, of exactly. the state. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you something from my uh, my just stated ignorance in terms of some of the things around education, but it's something that I've always sort of bothered me. And, and I'm wondering what state laws are around it, and because I think it it applies very much to the segregation, not segregation of schools so much by um, who goes to them, but how they're how they're supplied. When you have well-off parents who are all around one specific school and they see problems in, an, in a stadium or a, mm-hmm. in the classroom, any, literally any piece of infrastructure within the school, and they can do a fundraiser and raise easily uh, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, to fix a certain issue that they have. And obviously, when you go to certain other schools that don't have that, those same incomes, have working parents and things like that, where there's just not the same ability to do so, how... Is there is there already any attempts to sort of even that out, or is it just yeah. the law says if parents want to donate to the school that their kid go to, they can do that, and that's just the way it works? Yeah, to my knowledge, no, right? Like, and this is why North Carolina is different. You know how people say, well, schools are funded by the neighborhood, and so you stay in a poor neighborhood, you know, tax base. Anywhere else in North Carolina, that's true, but 60% of our funding in our state comes from the state. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the majority of education money actually comes from the state. And that's 30, why they jumped on the lawsuit. <laughs> 30% comes from the local. So that's what the, the county's fighting over. Mm-hmm. And then so 10%, how, do they, how do they decide where, like, what school gets what? Capital expenditures, building stuff that comes from the, that comes from the county, mm-hmm. right? And the way they distribute that is through policy. And to be fair, honestly, a lot of people don't know this. We try to have in uh, CMS like an equitable funding structure. Like it's right. weighted. And like, that's so, why so I was schools wondering. Schools with greater needs actually get more of the pot. Much to the chagrin of a lot of uh, opportunity hoarders, right? So, oh, no, my money, keep it here. Mm. But Well, that's why I was curious about whether the parents can just go in and They can't. And, and so this goes to your question, like, PTAs are powerful. Day, that's what I was thinking. And like, if you if you listen to the Nice White Parents podcast, mm-hmm, okay, I did. So yeah. it's different in New York, but that ability to bring dollars to the table to fundraise, like mm-hmm. the monies that a, a principal has to play with, with an active PTA who can mm-hmm. raise fifty thousand dollars a year, is going to be drastically different than one who doesn't have that. And PTA. In, in that podcast, they're like using it to teach French and things. Yeah, right. you know what I'm saying. So not capital expenditures mm-hmm. per se, but like stuff PD for the teachers, perks when it's Teacher Appreciation Day, you know what I mean? You get massage certificates or whatever. You know what I mean? Like all that sort of stuff. We're sending kids on trips. That's, That's what that a money can one. be supplement. Yeah. It's a big deal. They should take that money and go to a, a school that's less off. I couldn't think of a better word. I tried. I, I really <laughs> did. It was coming quick. And they should, you know, ask them, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all get together and learn. <laughs> That's the translation. In case anybody was wondering from <laughs> Justin Lott. Oh, yeah, it's La Francois. La he Francois. knows yeah. what he's talking about. We use your Paul Francais. On that note, do you know French? <laughs> or you've already used everything you know? There's a few other things. There's a few other things. I failed French the first time I took it with a five. Hmm. That was my that was my grade for the oh, semester. Nicely done. <laughs> Two quarters. Is that high school or middle school? That was high school. On purpose. I took Latin. I also spoke fluent French at the time. Would have full blown conversations with my teacher. Oh. I just don't like the work no, part. Yeah. Who does? I'm a privileged white guy. Uh, what do I- <laughs> <laughs> my, my last name is French. Don't don't come for me. Right? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Try me. I should get. 30 points to the total grade right there. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, listen, man. Oh, we're done? On that note, yeah, I think we are almost are, but I was just wondering, man, if there's anything else. We've talked about a lot, and I know that yeah. you had a, you came in here with a lot on your mind, and I'm just, have we... Yeah, did you let it all go? Nah. Nah. I didn't. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but, you know, like the best interview question anybody ever asked it's like, so is there anything that you want that we didn't ask that, you know? That's what I always try to do. <laughs> it's the most important thing you learn. What I would say is this, man. There's a culture war that's happening right now, right? Mm. And I think a lot of it is in response, like I said, to this perceived loss of power. But also, it's in response to the fact that, if we being honest, like, black people, like, we are the culture. Like, we, we are cultural creators despite everything we've been through, man. Like, when Beyonce went to the Super Bowl with that doggone Black Panther mm. guard, when Kaepernick knelt and athletes start taking the narrative, when, you know, the Confederate flag came down at racing uh, um, arenas and, and stadiums, we, are, we were not supposed to be influ- using our platforms to influence the culture. You're supposed to take your money, go. You're, supposed to, you're not supposed to be making music about protest songs or any of that. So shut up and dribble. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening right now is a backlash to that. And what I want everybody to pay attention to, but most particularly my folks, mm-hmm. is, man, you better mobilize. I know folks, you know, hate electoral politics, but that's all this is right now. It's an attempt to establish minority rule in the sense that this is a shrinking size of the population who thinks this way, but that don't mean they can't seize power. Mm-hmm. So if we're not careful, it'll be a situation where the United States of America turns into the United States of Apartheid South Africa. Right. Okay. And so, like, if you got the unction to run for something, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, run for it. School board, county commissioners, municipal governments, do that. But do not fall asleep. Not you, Justin. Don't I, sleep. I told him It's not a game out here. Um, they're going <laughs> sure. to desperate lengths, and it's, it's a lot of stuff we saw, man, was a dress rehearsal. Mm, so I'm a history teacher, trust me. Just mm-hmm. like he, you know, his last name's French. You got right. to be able to listen to that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'm right there with you. And I really appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing your knowledge with us. It's been a great talk. And we'll have to have you on back I on learned, again sometime. I learned a lot. Absolutely. I did I too. Did. All right, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, we'll see you next time. It. Appreciate the patience. All right, cheers. Cheers.